turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. The second book of the Bible and the second book of the first five books of the Bible, which has a bunch of different names. Some call it the Law. Some call it the Pentateuch. Five, Penta, Pentateuch. Some call it Torah. Hebrew for the law or the instruction from God. Book of Exodus chapter 1. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, all right. If you're not there, say hold up. Okay, okay. All right, are we there now? Okay, good. Exodus chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. Did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're, they're vigorous. And uh, they give birth before the midwife even comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. By the way, it should probably be worth noting that the word there for basket is the Hebrew word that we usually translate ark. I just think that's interesting. Um, 
So uh, they saw a basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she uh, and she took it. And she when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, "Oh, he's one of the Hebrew children." Then his sister said uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you?" And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, "Go." So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Yes, she's getting paid to nurse her own baby. How's that? So uh, how many moms were like, man, if I knew that was (laughs) a setup. So the woman took the child and named him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is an interesting story. This story, by God's grace, is not just the story of the Hebrews, but by grace, it is our story as well. For these are our ancestors in the faith. God has heard their cry. God has heard our cry. That's why we relish in this story. Let's pray that God will give us wisdom and insight as we study this great section of Scripture. And may He indeed use us in a great way to rescue those who are in need of a Savior. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would teach us, guide us. We are in great need of Your help. Our world looks bleak. Wickedness abounds from the greatest to the least. And we're in great need of your help and your grace. The Lord, teach us. Show us who you are. And may your name be praised, not just here. May your name be great among all peoples and all nations. Lord, there may be some that are here today that don't know Christ as their Savior. So we ask, Lord, that it would be so undeniable that Jesus is who He says He is. That they would turn from their sin, turn from their false ways of salvation and their false gods, and turn wholeheartedly to Christ, that they may find the redemption of their souls, the forgiveness of sins. We thank You, Father, for all of these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn on the news. Turn on the TV, period. You don't even have to turn on the news to recognize this. Turn on your phones. What do you see? By and large, madness, don't you? Madness from the highest all the way down to the lowest. Madness in Washington, D.C. We're kind of used to that by now. (laughs) But still madness nonetheless. Madness in Hollywood. Madness on the school boards. Madness in your neighborhoods. Perhaps even madness in your own homes. There's madness all around. I remember when we were in Baltimore. We would have the uh, prostitutes that would walk up and down our streets. We... Most of you all know, we lived in a parsonage that was right next door to our church building. And so we knew everything that was going on in the neighborhood because the church's neighborhood was our own. We saw the ladies walking up and down, getting picked up right in front of our church building um, and drive off in some uh, expensive rental. We'd also see the cops that would patrol the area. And as we saw the cops patrolling the area, we were kind of scratching our heads the first couple of years that we were there, wondering why in the world weren't the cops doing something about this? And Annie got the opportunity to talk to one of the ladies, and she asked them, she said, aren't you afraid? Aren't you concerned that you're going to get picked up and all of that? And her response was troubling to us. It actually was a paradigm shift for us. She said, some of the cops are our best customers madness 
madness. I got to speak at a conference over in Durham just a couple weeks ago. We were hearing about the things that are coming uh, uh, down the pike legally, uh, judicially, in our courts, and so on, especially relating to the sanctity of life. We know that uh, Dobbs versus Jackson was passed just a couple years ago. Um, or has it been one year? I, I, I don't know. I'm old, and I don't know what, what time is anymore. Plus, I went through the pandemic, and so a year is like a thousand. Um, you know, and, and, and so whenever, you know, all of that passed. Um, you know, we, we, we know that that was a landmark decision, and yet we also know that that didn't solve all the problems. It essentially returned the problems back to where they were to begin with, which was on the state level. And we've seen state after state after state passing legislation to protect uh, a woman's choice for abortion. We've seen uh, uh, the, 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 the mad rush of LGBTQ uh, policies and so on, even to the point of, of providing surgeries and, and so on to little children who are confused about their gender and about their identity. It's madness. Madness that we see all around us. Madness even on the, the highest level of madness, that, that God doesn't make the front page. That we never see Jesus seated on the throne making the headlines on the news. Even though that is the biggest news, right? That is the most amazing news story that tops all other stories every single day. Nothing can top that. And yet, we go ignoring day after day after day. And there are people in our neighborhoods. We don't have to go overseas, although indeed we must go overseas to share the gospel with people who have never heard unreached and unengaged peoples who have no idea about who Jesus is. But you don't have to go all the way overseas to find someone who's never heard about Jesus and who has no idea about the story. You just have to go down the street. We realize that in our own family. We have neighbors next door to us, uh, several young, young ladies, young girls. And the first time that they heard the gospel story, the first time that they heard that, for instance, Easter was the celebration of the resurrection of Christ, was from us, who have only been in the neighborhood for four years. Prior to our being there, they had never heard that. Easter was about the bunny who lays eggs full of chocolate. Easter was not about the resurrection and triumph of Christ over the grave and over evil. They never heard. That's madness that they've never heard that. It's madness that they don't know. When there are when churches all over the place, Bibles in a bajillion different translations in one language, English, here, in America. And they've never held one before. They never opened it up. They have no idea what it says. And they're not alone. You've got folks like that too, don't you? Neighbors that you've met. People that you know that have no idea. This world is mad. God has a plan, doesn't he? God has a plan not to keep the world as it is. God has a plan to rescue those who are in the clutches of sin. To rescue those who are being oppressed by oppressive sinners. To those who are committing their own sins and are enslaving and, and chaining themselves up. And, and, and those who are being sinned against. And, and, and those who have never heard that there's an answer. There's a Redeemer. God has good news, doesn't He? Here may be the shock as we celebrate. God's got good news. Here's the, here's the news flash. He wants you to tell him. God says, I've got good news. I'm going to rescue people. I'm going to rescue them from the clutches of slavery. I'm going to rescue them from their bondage. And I'm going to use you to do it. 
you say, hold up. <laughs> Let's not get crazy now, right? How is God going to use me? How's God going to use me? I'm a stay-at-home mom. How's God going to use me? I work in an office cubicle. How's God going to use me? Do you know my past? How's God going to use me? I don't have all the answers. How's God going to use me? I trip over my words. How's God going to use me? I'm an introvert. How's God going to use me? I, I can't even get my home straight. How is God going to use me? That's exactly the question that we find Moses asking. We, we read uh, the first couple chapters of Exodus, and we saw some of the story of what's going on in here. Uh, we, we were kind of fast-forwarding a little bit by the time we get into Exodus. By the time you get to the end of, of Genesis, Jacob has died. Uh, remember, Jacob is Abraham's grandson, uh, heir to the promises that God gave his granddad. Uh, he is the, uh, is the one who's going to keep the line going, the line of the people that God has chosen to designate from all other peoples and give them his blessing and use them to be, in essence, his mouthpiece and, and his representatives on earth. It was a, an amazing thing. But Jacob's gone by now. Jacob's son Joseph, if you remember Pastor Sean's message last week, uh, uh, Joseph was the one that God raised up to help uh, the famine relief. He basically was uh, FEMA all by himself. You know, as he's going in and he's, he's making sure that they have enough goods and all of that for seven years of famine. It's an, a remarkable story of how God takes one who has been brought low and raises him all the way up to the second highest seat in Egypt. That's amazing, right? But by this time, Joseph is gone. All the, all the brothers are there now in Egypt. They are now gone. Their kids and grandkids and so on uh, have, have now populated uh, the land of Egypt. Even as you saw in chapter 1, you know in, uh, in verse uh, 7, it says the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. If you've been tracking with us in Genesis, you ought to hear some echoes. In Genesis 1, the Lord said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? And now here you see Israel was fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong and the land was filled with them. So you see God blessing the people of Israel just as he blessed their, our, our ancient, 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 ancient ancestors, our grandparents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. This is amazing to everybody but the new king. The, the, the pharaoh of Egypt that arose, it says, did not know who Joseph was, meaning he couldn't care less and he has no obligation to be nice to the people of, 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 of Joseph's family because he's like, Joseph who? I don't know who Joseph is. I don't have to do anything to protect him. And he instead chooses fear. By the way, politicians do that a lot. When there are people that they distrust or people that they consider as a threat, they stir up a bunch of fear and all of that. Certainly you have these Israelite immigrants who moved into the town, and now all of a sudden these immigrants are a threat to all of Egyptian society. Maybe I shouldn't go there. Maybe I should just stick to the text here. But that's exactly what the text says, right? And so here you have these folks who, uh, who, who are a threat to Pharaoh, and so Pharaoh pushes the xenophobia button. Right? He, he says, hey, these people here are a threat. You know, the, there could be some invading nation that comes in, and, and if that nation comes in and all that, they could ditch and side with them and all of that, the turncoats that they are and everything. And so we need, to, we need to keep them in their place. We need to hold them back and make sure that nothing goes crazy. We need them to know that this is our land, and they need to follow our rules. And so he sets taskmasters over them, and they treat them cruelly. But a funny thing happened as they treated them cruelly. These folks who are now working hard labor and all of that, they go home to their wives, and their wives say, oh, sweetheart, I, I, I am so sorry that this happens to you and all of that. And wouldn't you know, they start making even more babies. That's exactly what it says here in Exodus 1. They, they, they're multiplying, and that did not work. Strike one against Pharaoh. So Pharaoh says, all right, well, I've got plan B. What is plan B? 
We're going to make them slaves. Apparently taskmasters wasn't, uh, wasn't good enough for them. Now we're going to make it even harder. We're going to put them in the chain gain, if you will. Making them slaves. Making them prisoners. Mass incarceration. No, that doesn't happen today. But that is what is going on in this society. They say we're going to make it even harder for them. And as they do so, notice it says they, they uh, uh, at the end of verse 14, in all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then in the process, he wanted to do this little side thing. Let's kind of keep it hush-hush. You know, we're just going to test this thing out. What does he do? He tells the Hebrew women, hey, here's what's going to happen. Uh, Y'all are midwives and and, and all of that. Well, when one of the Hebrew ladies is in labor, I want you to see when the baby comes out if it's a boy or a girl. If it's a boy, kill him on the spot. Now we're talking infanticide. Killing our babies. Killing the children. No, we do not want them to to reproduce. We do not want them to multiply. We want this to be, uh, uh, we want this, uh, this genocide to happen among the people. But the Hebrew wives feared God and said, no, we're not going to let that happen. And so they allowed the babies to grow. They allowed the sons to come. And so Pharaoh, furious with all of that, although the Lord blessed them and gave them families and children and so on, because what they were doing was right in the sight of the Lord, Pharaoh decides to make it new policy in the land. New law. If there is a son born to the Hebrews, you are to cast him in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. By the way, we're already at strike two. Strike one was forced labor. That didn't stop them. That didn't keep them. That didn't eliminate them or anything like that. Uh, Now we have plan B, and plan B is we're going to uh, kill the kids on site and everything, but that didn't happen. That didn't work out. So now plan uh, uh, C, this is three, plan C in this is we are now going to make it law that every son, not just the ones that are being born, but the ones who are already alive, every son that is born, take them all, throw them all into the Nile, but let every daughter live. And wouldn't you know, one under Pharaoh's roof disobeys Pharaoh. (laughs) Pharaoh's really bad at getting his way. You know, he's trying to get rid of these Israelites. And God keeps circumventing over and over again. No, it's not going to happen. In fact, the one baby that is rescued, his name is Moses. And he grows up right under Pharaoh's nose. (laughs) God is great, right? Moses grows up. uh, Acts chapter 7 tells us that uh, this is the testimony of Stephen. Stephen tells us that Moses already knew that God had a call on his life. That God was going to use him to rescue the Hebrew people. Which is why the next scene is so tragic. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he, saw, uh, and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He sees one of his Hebrew uh, 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 brothers being assaulted in the streets. And Moses feels this sense of, 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 of vigilance. Of, I've I got to do something. I can't just sit there. God has called me to, to rescue my brothers and my sisters. And so he goes over to the Egyptian and he strikes him down, verse 12, and he hides him in the sand, beats him to death, covers it up with sand and all of that. <sighs> this isn't going to happen any longer. This is the beginning of the uprising. Or so we thought. You see in verse 13, he went out the next day, and behold, there were two Hebrews struggling together. Now it's Hebrew on Hebrew crime. Okay? And as they're uh, grappling with each other, he, he said to the man in the wrong, why, are you, why don't you strike your companion? Hey, we're brothers. Maybe like the old 90s, Rodney King. Can't we all just get along? And, and the guy answers him in verse 14, who made you a prince and a judge over us? You mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh oh. It's out. <laughs> Moses was afraid, it says, and he thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Now he's gone from having a seat in Pharaoh's house to being public enemy number one, Egypt's most wanted. And so, what does he do? He flees from Moses in verse 15, stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Well, while he's sitting there by a well, the priest of Midian has some daughters, 
And they came to draw their water, but here go these marauders that come over, and they try to, uh, to attack. It says in verse 17, shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. You see this? God just has this call on his life. He has to be the one to rescue those who are in need. And he goes and he rescues the ladies, and he drives the shepherds away, and the ladies are able to water their flock. They come to their father, Ruel. Later on in the book of Exodus, he's named Jethro. And, uh, and he says, how is it that you've come home so soon? And they said, well, there was some Egyptian that came over, and he delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, drew water for us, and watered the flock. By the way, Moses' name means drawn from the water. And now here he is once again drawing water. It's just one of these Hebrew plays. And, uh, and so he, the, the dad says to his daughters, where is he? Why, why have you left him? Bring him over here that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. He moves in. He gives Moses his daughter Zipporah. They give birth to a son, call his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And this is where we find Moses. Moses is settled down in Midian. Moses is, is, uh, is, is content living out there with the sheep. His plan to rescue his people apparently didn't go the way that he thought. And he just like, well, forget that. I'm just going to go over here and live out in the rural, out in the country, you know, with the, with the sheep and everything. This is fine. I'm living my best life. I'm happy. Nobody's upset. They're not, you know, hunting me down or anything like that over here in Midian. I'm cool. But God has a plan. You see there at the end of chapter 2, during those days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. By the way, a little side note, when it says that God remembered, it doesn't mean that God forget. It means God's about to do something. When, when God remembers something in the Scriptures, it's God's way of saying, hey, I did say that back in the day. Now it's time for me to put it into, into action. That's exactly what He's about to do. And God is going to use an unlikely person. He's going to use Moses. I don't know what your idea of Moses is. You thought that Moses was this one that was just, here I've come to save the day, right? That's not, that's not Moses, Okay. Uh, Moses has his tail between his legs. He's been embarrassed and humiliated, ostracized in Egypt. He is now living over in Midian as a shepherd. I mean, you see this. Yeah, he's, just, he's over there living his life. This is all that he wants to do for the rest of his life. He's done rescuing people. He's done trying to change the world. That's not for him anymore. That's for those folks over there. He's just going to go and live his life as a, as a mild-mannered shepherd. Maybe that's what you're thinking with your life. I don't want to do anything magnificent. I want to do anything special. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to get into other people's messes and probably make a bigger mess of everything and all of that. Just leave that to the seminary folks. Leave that to the folks who feel like they've got some type of destiny or anything like that i just want to live a simple life the problem with that is god hears their cry do you hear the cry why in the world would a person mutilate their bodies because of the psychological confusion that is going on can't you see the cry why in the world would some terrorist group, would these, these people, these young kids that, that get themselves all, all caught up in the frenzy of, of wanting to go and murder people, can't you see them crying out? Can you hear their cry? Can you hear the cry of, 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 of those who have been abandoned? Can you hear the cry of those who have been caught up in, 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 in sorcery and witchcraft and all of that? Can you hear the cry of the people who say, I just want to live my life happy, which is why I continue injecting this stuff into my veins and everything. Can you hear the people crying? They're asking, where do I go for help? Where do I turn? Who is here to rescue me? Not the time for us to sit back. Not the time for us to kick back. 
It's not the time for us to, 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 to enjoy our life. I still remember uh, one of my friends, we served together at a church in Maryland uh, back when Annie and I were newlyweds. And he said this, he said it when, back when he was a student at Liberty, he, he, had a, he had a sign that he put up on his door. He just wrote it out or printed it out or whatever and put the sign on his door. And, and he said he wanted to look at that sign every single time he walked out of his dorm room. And the sign said, Lord, help me never be content with watching my neighbors live their lives all the way to hell. That's always stuck with me. All around there are people who are in need of a Savior. When you watch the news, do you watch the news thinking, man, I'm so glad I'm not them? Or does your heart break? Lord, they need a Savior. Have mercy on them. It's not just a news story. There are men and women, boys and girls, families, communities, that are in need of a Savior. Our great God hears their cry. Do you hear their cry? Well, the Lord approaches Moses. <laughs> Look what he does in chapter 3. Verse 1, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb would later be Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So he's just over there doing his daily task, right? This is his life, you know. Nah, nah. Yep, going over. There you go. Yep. All right, drink your water and everything. Ah, this is the life. Doing absolutely nothing. Ah, I love it. I love it. And while he's sitting there, you know, waiting on the sheep and everything, he looks and he notices that there's a bush that's on fire. But as he's looking at the bush and he sees the flames and everything, one thing he does notice is that the leaves aren't, aren't withering up. They're, they're not being consumed by the fire. The, the bush is still green while the fire is going. And he looks at that and says, that's weird. right?" And look, he says uh, in uh, verse 3, it says, he, Moses says, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. That's the Hebrew way of saying, that's weird. And so... He's, he's looking and just going, what in the world is going on over here? And then, to his surprise, the bush starts talking. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And as you will find in much of the scriptures, when unusual things talk, people answer them. <laughs> it happens all the time. You've got donkeys in the book of Numbers talking to Balaam, and, and for whatever reason, Balaam talks back. It's, it's really weird. Serpents in Genesis 3 that talk, and, and Eve is just holding a conversation. I guess he wanted to talk today. I have no idea why they talk back. I've, this, is, this is Halloween season, and if I see a bush talking, I'm running for my life. Um, <laughs> you know, brothers don't stick around for those types of things. But anyways... He says, here I am. And, and the Lord says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God met him. And God's got a commission for him. He says in verse 7, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Notice, God hears the cry of the hurting. God hears the cry of the oppressed. God hears the cry of the suffering and the sinned against. God is not aloof. If you are in a situation like that, and you're wondering if your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and right back down to you, 
Listen to God Himself speak. He says, I hear your cry. I know what you're going through. I am going to do something about it. But look what he says in verse 10. He says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Notice, answering God's call, you've got to realize that our holy God calls us to his rescue mission. Our holy God calls us. He calls you to this rescue mission. This isn't something for the folks over there to do something. It's not something for you to go, man, I wish someone would do something about it. Could it be that the reason it's on your radar is because God wants you to do something about it? He wants you to join. He wants you to rescue those who are in the clutches of sin and under the grip of the enemy. He wants you. He wants you to give the message that would deliver people from the curse. God calls us to His rescue mission. And what you'll see in the rest of the passage is Moses giving every reason on earth for why God shouldn't. Send him. Just like us. Uh, Lord, I don't know if you want to do that. I count here five uh, different approaches that Moses gives uh, to, to God to say, this is why I probably shouldn't be that guy. Um, and I find it very interesting as I walk through this because I think that we do the same thing. I think that a lot of the reasons that we see here with Moses are reasons that we give to God too. And, and yet I want you to recognize what God is doing in all of this because with each of these concerns, each of these fears, what we find is that this holy God calms our fears for joining His mission. Every reason that you think is a reason not to go, God says, no, 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 no. I got you. You go. So what are these five that we have here? Well, first off, he calms our fears about our identity. Look at verse 11 in chapter 3. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, you know, I, you know I'm, just a, I'm just a shepherd guy, Lord. I, you know, and, and an ex-convict at that. I've got, you know, they probably got my face on the, on, on, you know, on the, on the trees and, and everything. Wanted. You know, Moses and, and all of this. I, I probably shouldn't be going back over there. I've got a prison record and, and, and all of these different things. I, you know, there's a warrant out for my arrest. I don't know if I should be going over there. Who am I, Lord, to do that? I, I tried that. I failed, you know, and everything. Who am I? And look at how the Lord answers in verse 12. But I will be with you. Did you, did you hear that? Are you worried about yourself? You know, but, but I, I'm, I'm not that person. I'm not... It's not about you. It's about the one who will be with you. I will be with you. We know in the Great Commission, when the Lord sends out His disciples, He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Remember the promise that He gives right at the end. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You left to yourself will probably be a little comical. I'm going to go and I'm going to share the gospel with these folks over here that don't know, uh, don't know Christ. I'm going to you know, invite these kids over to my house and I'm going to you know, look for opportunities to share the gospel. I'm, I'm going to prep for Thanksgiving when I'm around my, my, my crazy family and, and, and I've got you know, this, this one family member that doesn't know, the, know Jesus and he hasn't trusted the gospel and all of that and I'm going to go and I'm going to you know, be the odd one out as everybody's looking at me going, why well, you got to make things awkward? You know, I, I got to be the one going over there and, and everything. I, I, don't, I just don't know if I, that, that, that's not, no, 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 no. He is with you. The Almighty God. The Holy One. The only one who is able to change hearts. The only one who is able to free us from the clutches of sin. The only one who could, who could stomp on the head of the serpent. He said, I am with you. Don't let your sense of your identity and so on and going, I don't know if I'm that person, I don't know if I can do that. Don't let that be an obstacle for you obeying Jesus. 
What about another one? And seeing that that one didn't work, <laughs> he goes to the next one, which is you know something that I think all of us find common, and that's theology. Our Lord calms our fears about our theology as well. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, if I come in to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to them, uh, to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Uh, what, what do I say? Y'all have been in that situation before, right? Perhaps that's a common obstacle to going and joining God in this mission. That you wonder in your mind, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? What if, what if they throw me, throw me you know, a curveball that I, I, don't, I just don't know what to do in that situation? I don't know what to say in that situation. What if they ask me something about God that I don't know about? You know? Uh, well, well if, if there is a God, why is there so much evil in this world? If there is a God, why is there this? Why is there that? Why is there suffering? Why, why, if there is a God, why did... And, uh, fill in the blank. You know, all these different things. And I don't know the answer to those questions. So what should I do? Well, it seems like you should do what Moses did. You go to God. And God is so gracious to reveal Himself to you. Look what He says. The question that Moses brings up is, what is, what is your name? And God says, you want to know my name? I am who I am. By the way, that, that is just about as boss as you can get. Alright. I am who I am. He says, tell them I am sent me to you. What is he doing there? Oh, we could spend years on this. What he basically does, and this is great, he says, what's my name? And God answers with a verb. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's just, really? I mean, only God can do this. Well, well, what should I say your name is? Is. That's what he does. And you're just like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, what does he do? Tell them I am sent me to you. There's a whole world of things that we can talk about. I'll, I'll just list a couple. First, I am, uh, as Jesus points out, uh, uh, with, um, uh, uh, with the Sadducees. When the Sadducees, were, were, they, were, they uh, did not believe in the resurrection they believed that that was, just a, you know, that, that was just mythical and all of that. And so they come over to Jesus, who, by the way, is about to rise from the dead. They go over to Jesus, and they say, um, you know, there's this, they give some ridiculous story. There's a lady who, who married seven brothers. And according to their custom, according to the culture of that day in the Middle East, they had what was called leveret law, which meant that if there was a, a, a one guy who dies and he did not uh, get a male child, then she's got to move to the next brother. She's got to marry him. He has to marry her. That's actually the way the law says it. He has to marry her, and he has to secure for her a male descendant. And so they go, well, how about this? There's a lady that marries seven guys, and none of the brothers uh, uh, had a male's child. And then she dies, and she goes to heaven in the resurrection, because remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. Whose uh, wife is, is she? And Jesus says, oh my goodness, see, you're, you're ridiculous. Um, see, here's the thing. First off, um, the, uh, this whole thing is, is ridiculous because there's actually no marrying or giving into marriage and all of that in the last day. That's the first thing. That's why you're just so dumb. Uh, the second thing uh, in all of this is, don't you remember when Moses, when the Lord appeared to Moses? Coming right back here to Exodus 3. When the Lord appeared to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He says he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. What's he mean by that? When God appeared to Abraham, or when God appeared to Moses, he didn't say, I used to be. I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But rather, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning that they were resurrected. They are still alive, even though they were dead. And here's the thing with I am, he is always present with them now in eternity as well. And we know from the scriptures that he also goes all the way back to before there were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As John 8 says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, he is the eternally present God. He is, always is. That's who he is. Okay, And so the, uh, the New Testament tries to, tries to encapsulate that with phrases like, I am the one who was and is and is to come. We read in, 
in Revelation or in Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What they're trying to capture is the, the depth of the meaning of I am. This is who he is. See, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, if he's also always present, the ever-present always is God, then that means that his existence is not dependent on anything outside of himself because he pre-exists. He, he predates everything that exists. So he is the always eternal, always present, self-existent, totally independent God. Tell them that's the one who's talking to you. That's awesome. That is awesome. Do you know the God? Why do you think Moses took his shoes off? Because he's in the presence of the awesomely holy one. There is no one like him in all the earth. There is no one that can say the things that he can say about himself. There is no one who can do what he can do. When they ask you questions about who God is, tell them who he is. This is who He is. This is who He's revealed Himself to be. And He will never change. So if you have questions about your theology, read up. Learn. Go ahead. Study the Scriptures. Listen to what God said. See God as He has revealed Himself to us. Don't get bogged up in the confusion of this world and the speculations and uh, 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 that, that you see in all of the, these circles and so on. Don't get caught up in all of that stuff. Listen to what God said. Focus on how He has revealed Himself to be. So, He calms our fears about our identity. He calms our fears about our theology. He also calms our fears about our credibility. <laughs> look what He says uh, as you go over to chapter 4. and Look at verse 1. Moses answered, Behold, they, will believe, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say... The Lord didn't appear to you. <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty reasonable objection, right? I'm going to go and say, uh, I am sent me to you. And they're going to say, no, he didn't. <laughs> I thought that was going to work, right? <laughs> so now Moses is going, well, what do I do? What do I do in that situation? And the Lord again says, don't worry about that. Look what he says in verse 2. What's in your hand? Uh, Moses says, I got a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses, you know, like any human, ran for his life. But then the Lord says, why don't you go back and why don't you grab the, the snake by its tail? Which, by the way, is not how you grab a snake. Um, why don't you grab the snake by its tail? Uh, okay, and so he goes and he puts out his hand, and he catches it, and it becomes a staff in his hand. And the Lord says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, he says, how about you put your hand inside your cloak? He puts his hand inside his cloak, puts it in his little pocket, and he pulls it out, and all of a sudden his hand is white. It's leprous like snow. And the Lord says, why don't you put it back in? He's like, don't, don't, don't tell me twice. So he puts his hand in there, and he pulls it out, and now his hand is perfectly fine. And he says in verse 8, if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they won't believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. In other words, all of this is God's way of saying, I got your back. I got your back. You don't have to work you know, to be found credible or anything like that. The evidence is in the power of God. What is the sign that God has given to us to show that this message is real? He raised Jesus from the dead. What more proof do you need that this is exactly what God, that what God has said is exactly true? What more proof do you need that he is able to do exactly what he said he's able to do? What proof do you need that God loves you except the cross? What proof do you need that God is able to, to free us from the clutches of death except the resurrection? What more proof do you need that God is able to change lives except what you see God doing in my own life? The credibility is already there. God has already established it. He's already demonstrated His power. Go. Join Him on His mission. Don't worry about credibility. Fourth, He calms our fears about our abilities. Look at verse 10. 
Moses said to the Lord, uh, uh, Lord, my, my Lord, I, 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 I'm not eloquent, either in the past or, or since you've spoken to your servant. I, 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 I'm, I'm slow to speech. I'm slow of tongue. You know, Moses wasn't this great orator. Moses wasn't Charlton Heston. <laughs> you know, that's just Sister Ramses. You know, that, that's, not, that's not all of that. Let my people go. That, that wasn't Moses, okay? Moses had insecurities about his, about his, he had some type of speech impediments and all of these different things. And he's like, you want me to go speak? I don't know if you want me to go speak. I'm not the best speaker. I don't know if I should be doing that. I, I remember when, when uh, you know, I got opportunities to preach back in the early days when I was a teenager and I would get up there and, and I mean, you talk about nervous. I had a death grip. You probably saw, you could see my fingerprints ingrained in the wood of the pulpit as I was there. Because I was like this. <laughs> and I'm just like, turn to, to, to your Bibles, to the book of Philippians. You know, and, and all of this. I mean, I'm just terrified, uh, terrified of, of preaching, sweating. And all of this, I mean, you know, that was part of the reason why I wear suit jackets is so you don't see just how much the brother sweats. Uh, and back in those days, it was that same thing where I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't speak in front of all these folks. I, I remember times where I would have to preach and, and it would be a hard message, a very convicting message. And I would go to Annie and go, sweetie, you might want to just like leave a little early and get the car warmed up <laughs> because uh, when this message is over, I'm, we're rolling and, um, you know, we're getting out of Dodge and, and, and all of that, just the nerves and, and all of that. I just, I'm not, you know, the, the, the confident, you know, get up and, Hey, you know, this is what the Bible says. And, and all of this, you know, play the music, you know, that, that's just not, that's not me. And so I, 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 I resonate with this, you know, and, and maybe you feel the same way. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm soft-spoken. I'm not the person to kind of stand up. I'm not the person to want to go and, 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 and speak like that. And I'm not a great orator and all that. Listen to what the Lord says. He says in verse 11, the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Hmm. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Notice the Lord doesn't just say, I'm the one who makes healthy mouths and ears and eyes. But God says, hey, if you are mute, if you are deaf, if you are blind, is it not I, the Lord? I think there are a lot of us who have a faulty theology of disability. That we look and we say, well, this is the way a normal person should be. You know, a normal person should have two arms. A normal person should have two legs, two feet, two hands, ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, nose, and all. And we say that's how a normal person should be. Interestingly, I don't see the Bible talking like that. But rather, the Bible says, you are how I created you to be. If you were born blind, I want you blind. Why? Perhaps as John 9 would say with the man born blind, it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. God says, I'm going to glorify myself through your disability. I'm going to glorify yourself, uh, my, my name through your weakness. I'm going to magnify my name through your suffering. This is the God that we serve. Don't look at your uh, shortcomings and and, and perhaps your disabilities, and, and so on. Don't look at those things as being obstacles to serving the Lord. Perhaps it could be the very way God wants to use you. Oh, as I hear stories of ladies like Johnny Erickson Tata, who was a, a, a fabulous swimmer and so on, she hurt herself, paralyzed herself in a swimming accident. And she would say, God has used her 10,000 times more uh, uh, in a wheelchair 
than he ever did with her and her, uh, her two strong legs and all of that. God has used her in, in tremendous ways. Or even uh, in generations past, Fanny Crosby, who was blind, and, and here she had an opportunity to play music and write some of the, uh, the, 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 the most uh, uh, timeless songs of the church over the years. Songs that some of them we still sing to this day in many of our churches. And she would not look at that as anything. In fact, she said, my prayer is that I stay blind for the rest of my life. Why? So that when I reach the resurrection in my resurrected body, the first person that I could see with my two eyes is the face of Jesus. Boy, that's amazing. Don't look at these as shortcomings. It could be God's unique way of wanting to use you. So, he calms our fears about our identity, about our theology, about our credibility, about our abilities. And lastly, he calms our fears about our capacity. After all of that, I mean, you would think with all the things that, that the Lord has done, that, that Moses would go, all right, let's roll. Instead, he goes the opposite direction. Look at verse 13. He says, oh, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> uh, one guy that I admire, his name's uh, Chuck Swindoll down in Texas. Uh, I remember him preaching a sermon on this, and the message of his sermon was, here am I, Lord, send someone else. Um, <laughs> and, and that's exactly what you have here, Lord. Uh, Lord, please send someone else. And you know, I just I I don't have the capacity to do this. It's not me. You know, I'm not that person. Just Lord, could you please just send someone else? And notice this is the first time in verse 14 that it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He was fine all the way, and he's fine with you and and your apprehensions and going. But Lord, this, but Lord, that. He's perfectly fine. You know what he's not fine with? No. No, 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 no. See, no's not an option. No is not an option. I said, go. So go. Look what he says. He says to him, is, not, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You'll speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He will speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Take in your hand the staff with, uh, with which you will do the signs. And so he goes over to Jethro. Jethro he says, hey, i got to go. <laughs> and Jethro says, all right, go. And so in verse 19, uh, the Lord says to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. And Moses took his wife, his sons, had them ride on a donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Notice, God is going to be with you all along the way. Did you notice that he's the answer to all of the questions? I, I, I just don't know, uh, you know, who am I, Lord? I will be with you. Well, you know, if they ask me what's your name, what's your name? I am who I am. Well, you know, I just don't know. I mean, you know, that, what if they say, no, he didn't? Uh, no, I will get, uh, have your back. I will be your credibility. Well, you know, I just don't know if I, I mean, my mouth and all that. Who made your mouth? Well, you know, just, just send somebody. Go. <laughs> God is the answer. You nervous about joining him on this mission? Are you nervous about finding ways to incorporate the gospel into your everyday lives and finding opportunities to go? Are you nervous about, about going and helping the helpless? Are you going with go? Are you nervous about going and sharing the message of the gospel with the lost? Are you nervous about being with God on this dangerous mission called the mission of the gospel? Are you, are you nervous about all of that? Then there is one assurance that you have in all of this, and that is that the Lord your God is with you. He's the answer to all the fears. He's the answer to all your worries. He's the answer to all your anxieties. He will be with you. We have all the assurance of knowing that if He is with us, everything is going to be okay because we know just how committed He is to saving the lost. How committed is He to saving the lost? He sent His Son. The Son. The one that He said, You are My beloved Son, and You I am well pleased. His Son, whom He has loved even before the foundation of the world, He sent His Son, 
His Son, who is the perfect image of the invisible God. His Son, who is the exact representation of His nature. He sent His Son, who came and laid down His life for sinners like you and like me. If God so loved the world, then we ought also to love. We ought also to go and say, what must we do to make sure that those who, who will trust in Jesus as, his save, as their saviors will get an opportunity to hear this gospel message? What can you do to rearrange your lives and say, God, I'm with you. Let's go. What better thing can you do with your life? You say, but, but this may mean that I have to rearrange some stuff. Yes, it does. It also, though, means that you can infuse your life with the things of the Lord. You say, well, you know, I, 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 do I need to like quit my job and like go to Southeastern or something? If you want to. Um, but <laughs> I, I work there. I have to say that. But, 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 you know, but even more than that, hey, you can be that gospel witness on your job. You say, but if I do that, I'm going to get in trouble. We'll be smart about it. <laughs> Find ways to do it. You know, uh, where, where you're not going to get in trouble. And even if you do get in trouble for doing it, it's worth it. It's worth it. you got your neighborhood. There are folks around that don't know Jesus. Well, they like to keep to themselves and all that. Okay, well, pray that God will give you an opportunity to go and tell them the good news of Christ. You got family members, and again, like I said, it can be awkward and all that. Well, pray that God will give you the opportunity where it won't be awkward. You got folks who are hurting. There are folks who are working in so many different ministries here in our church that are engaged in the city and engaged especially with the hurting and the disadvantaged and so on in our neighborhood and in our in our uh, in our area. Hey, maybe you might want to consider joining in being a part of what God is doing. What is going on in your life? Is your life on mission with Him? If not, why not? And if not, how can it be? Because God hears the cry of the lost in this madness world. God is about rescue. He wants you to get in on it. What greater joy. Close with a story. that There was a song that I remember hearing way back when. It was back in the 80s. And this is back when there were a whole lot of melodramatic Christian songs um, back in those days. And, uh, and there's one that I particularly remember. Um, my parents came to faith when I was pretty young. Uh, I was still in diapers. And so they were all about, you know, melodramatic 80s Christian songs. And, uh, and I remember there was a song from a guy, uh, and the song was called Thank You. And, and, and you know, the little chorus, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Which is why Annie sings and I don't. Um, and, and, and what was this about? Well, this is about a guy who dies and goes to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, there are all these people who come to him and say, hey, I was in your Sunday school. Hey, you helped me out in this way. Hey, you know, this happened and all that. And it's because of the things that you did, the little things that you did, that I'm here today, that I am in heaven, in the presence of God. And I just wanted to say, thank you. I wonder what it would be like in your life, in my life, if we said, let's get on a mission with the Lord. Not about us. Not about our comforts. Not about any of these things. It's simply about us doing everything that we can in the Spirit's power to get the message out to as many people as we possibly can. To join in on this rescue mission. Because what matters to us is on that day. The many people, men, women, boys and girls, that would be able to encircle the throne of our Lord and say to Him, Thank you. Thank you for hearing my cry. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving my life. What better joy would it be than to join in 
on this great mission. Let's pray. So Father, I ask that you would indeed work in every single one of us. Help us, O Lord, to get on mission with you. You hear the cry of the loss around us. It does not fall on deaf ears. You, Lord, want us to be a part of this great mission. So we pray, Lord, Spirit of God, work in us. Move in us. Use us to bring even more people to the, uh, to the Savior. It's because of our Lord's death that we have a reason to go. It's because of what He has done in us that we have a reason to go. And we commemorate that uh, regularly here. It's been our custom with the Lord's Supper. It's what the Lord gave to His disciples, what has been passed down from generation to generation to us. We are reminded in the Lord's Supper that we too were lost. We too were crying out for a Savior. God sent His Son. He did not leave us abandoned. He came to our rescue at the great cost of His own life. We have life. 